All right, you guys, podcast time. We got the equipment and the perfect business plan. Give our show away for free and tell no one how to find it. Ready? Get in there. You will deal with that Atlas harshly. Fight forever, Guardian! I think he broke it. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Greetings, gentlemen and ladies, and welcome back to another fine, fanciful edition of wrestling historian we're gonna go back to the days where uh crowds like this behind me were routine not just stadiums, but in uh coliseums and high school gymnasiums the national guard armories and all 50 states would be packed with fans of professional wrestling not sports entertainment not theatrical matches actual wrestling that took place in a squared circle four corners three ropes and four turnbuckles. This, gentlemen and ladies, is a wrestling historian. Uh, we're going to go back to August 12th, uh, Big Day in Wrestling, and back when federations just had a handshake deal, and between great cities, great wrestling cities like Toronto, Houston, and in this case, St. Louis, uh. on any given month, you could see people from all different federations. So on this card in August 12, 1977 in St. Louis, Missouri, you had the NWA champion, Harley Race, uh, defending against a young Ric Flair. And you had the WWF heavyweight champion, superstar Billy Graham, defending the WF belt against his old friend, handsome Jimmy Valiant. And it was all on one card. Jeez. Yeah. Also on that card, Dick Slater defeated Jack Briscoe for the Missouri State Heavyweight Championship, and the Missouri State title was the company title. And some, uh, when you, if you held that, you were the heir apparent, uh, because previous people that have won the Missouri State Championship have gone on to win the world title, namely Harley Race, Bob Backlund, Terry Funk, um, and later on we'd have guys like Ric Flair, both the Von Erichs. Um, matter of fact, all three of the Von Erichs held the Missouri State Championship at one point, not at the same time. But you were seen as the heir apparent. Um, Dick Slater would actually lose that about to Ted DiBiase, who they also thought would be the heir apparent to a former world, to be a future world champion. So Dick Slater defeating Jack Briscoe, a former NWA champion, was big news. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that was August 12, 1977. August 12, 1983 in Houston, Texas, Sam Houston. Coliseum on the Mid South card. Uh, the two top baby faces in, well, the top baby face in the Mid South enlisted the aid of another top baby face from another territory to do battle with the top heels in the Mid South. Junkyard Dog, North American champion, most popular wrestler in the Mid South and had been for at least three years. And if you heard last week's Wrestling historian, we talked about him main eventing the Superdome in 1980 against Michael Hayes in the very first dog collar match. Well, the popularity of the dog just kept going up after that. So in 1983, uh, he teamed up with another insanely popular babyface, Dusty Rhodes, 
to go against the top two heels in the Mid-South, Ted DiBiase and Kamala. And a never-before-seen and a never before seen and never right. before done match. Again, this hasn't taken place before or since. It was a Texas Tornado dog collar Texas bull rope match. So Junkyard Dog was attached to Ted DiBiase with a, in a dog collar. Well, Dusty Rhodes was tied to Kamala in a Texas bull rope with a Texas bull rope. So that was your first ever te- Texas Tornado, Texas bull rope dog collar match. And Dusty and JYD come out on top. And I should point out, Dan, I know last week we got a lot of consternation about Junkyard Dog having the very first dog collar match, 1980. This dog collar match took place August 12, 1983, again before Starcade that year. No, no, Star. Uh, Bill? Yeah, what? Yes, first, no. The first dog collar match was. The not network right. said it was Starcade. Starcade 1983, dog collar match between Roddy Piper and Greg Valentine was not the first dog collar match. How do you and know? Because the one I just told you about that took place August 12th, 1983, came before that. Oh. And the one, the one I told you last week, August 2nd, 1980, came before that. So, once again, Junkyard Dog and Dusty Rhodes defeating Ted DiBiase and Kamala in a Texas Tornado dog collar Texas bull rope match. Exactly. You can't even what? write that down. Yeah. <laughs> Right, a lot of Texas in there. We're, one more time. Texas Tornado. Texas, tornado, Texas Bull Rope. Texas Bull Rope Dog Collar dog Match. Dog Collar Match. If you want to put the dog collar before Texas uh, Bull Rope to break up the monotony. No, no, no. I want that right. This is okay. going on the description, sir. <laughs> yeah. Between Dusty Rhodes and Junkyard Dog and Teddy <sighs> Biafi and Kamala. But exactly one year later, Dan, on the exact same date, August 12, 1984, in Salisbury, Maryland. Okay. One year prior, he was in a main event, Texas Tornado, Texas Bull Rope dog collar match. But the very next year in Salisbury, Maryland, Kamala made his WWF debut. Ah, Kamala. Yep. Salisbury, Maryland, August 12, 1984, Kamala would defeat Sal Balomo. In his WWF debut, one year after headlining in the Sam Houston Coliseum, and we talked about Kamala, you know, mm-hmm. the time of his death. But there's a guy that you know people always talk about inventing, reinventing themselves. Yeah, he didn't. He had the same thing, and I and I mean this with the highest praise. He carried that into the 2000s. James Sugar Bear Harris with the combined with the intellect of Jerry Lawler created the single greatest gimmick in professional wrestling history. Because not only did that, that start in the early 80s, it like you said, it went all the way to the 2000s. No one has had a gimmick that long that we can, can argue the Undertaker Undertaker was the greatest gimmick that WWE ever created. Sure. But he was Mark Callis and the Punisher and the Master of Pain way before he was 
the Undertaker. James Sugar Bear Harris was only James Sugar Bear Harris for um, about eight or nine months. But once he became Kamala, he was that everywhere he wrestled and everywhere he main evented, which was everywhere. Mid-South, Memphis against Jerry Lawler, Mid-South against Junkyard Dog, Florida against Dusty Rhodes, World Class against Kerry Von Erich, the WWF against Hulk Hogan, WrestleMania against The Undertaker, all the way up to the 2000s. Kamala was the greatest gimmick ever created in professional wrestling. Um, and it's and he made his debut August 13th, a year after he made the event in Houston. A year later, he was making his WWF debut. Speaking of shocking debuts, and while it was it might not have been a shock to folks to see Kamala show up in the WWF ring, but August 13th, 1993, Clash of Champions, Daytona Beach. Um, they got to see the uh the tag team of the uh the new horsemen, Andre. Andre, Arn Anderson and pretty Paul Roma. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so either. Arn Anderson and Paul Roma defeated Steve Austin and Steve Regal for the WCW Tag Team Championship. Now, it was Steve Regal because Steve Austin's original tag team partner, Brian Pillman, the other half of the Hollywood Blondes, had torn ligaments in his ankle and he couldn't compete. So Austin and Regal... Regal wrestling in place of Brian Pillman would lose the WCW Tag Team Championship. Uh, And when Brian Pillman came back, Steve Austin was in the middle of his big singles push. And uh, Brian Pillman went in another direction. So the Hollywood Blondes tag team, the best tag team, the hottest tag team in the business, in the company at that time, was no more. But uh, the Paul, Paul Roma, the new horseman, and, uh, and Arn Anderson would be the WCW Tag Team Champions. Uh, Vader would uh, pin uh, David Boy Smith on that card. But the single biggest thing that happened at that Clash of Champions in Daytona Beach, August 13th, 1993, was the debut of the Shockmaster. <laughs> I said of the shocking debut. You did. <laughs> Didn't want to tip my hand. No, or your hat. More people would, or more people will remember Clash of Champions, August thirteenth, nineteen ninety three, for the debut of the uh, for the uh, previously artist previously known as Tugboat, <laughs> or or the artist also known as Uncle Fred, Fred Ott, uh, bursting through the set. Of the <laughs> stage, fucking Christ! Yeah. Because of the uh, incompetence of the Clash of Champions uh, production set, uh, there was supposed to be a when the place that Fred was supposed to burst through was already in place. To set it in place, though, they put a single two by four uh, on the bottom to keep to weigh the set down because it was so light this is a million this is a billion dollar company turner coming through the wall like a latter day kool-aid man (laughs) the shock master very latter day a a bespeckled a rhinestone covered 
Stormtrooper helmet bursts through the wall, probably falls on his face while his Stormtrooper helmet goes rolling along. <laughs> and on live TV, he had to get back up real quick and put the helmet back on and then have the voice dubbed over saying how he was the shock master. Zoli, right? Zoli. Yes. I'm the Shockmaster. Uh, doing, you know, not since the Black Scorpion has Ole Anderson's voice been attached to such a great, horrible gimmick. Uh, great. But, and uh, I also remember um, Jesse Ventura not even trying to hide his laughter on commentary. Would you at that point? He, about what he just saw. And no. I don't care. I don't care, Tony. This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> there it was. <laughs> or, 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 or Bulldog going, he fell flat on his arse. I fell on his arse. Oh, my God. <laughs> Rick Flair in his little Minnesota accent trying to, oh, God, trying to play this off. And the tubby bastard fell over. Ugh. My favorite part of that, though, is Dusty telling the story. And and this is why I'm also grateful for the, the, the Peacock loading everything up, is they have the old WWE, uh, the Legends of Wrestling TV show. Yeah. And they talk about that moment. Dusty tells the amazing story about how he was laughing so hard that they thought they were going to have to take it to the fucking hospital. <laughs> and they said little Cody at home just turned around to his mom and said, I think that was Uncle Fred. Fred. <laughs> It had came off just a second, but that looked like Uncle Fred. Oh, man. Uh, also on that date, uh, 1996, uh, SummerSlam in Cleveland. And this was the infamous, speaking of big masked men, yeah. uh, Shawn Michaels versus Vader. Uh, known, and the most famous thing about that match was when uh, Shawn was supposed to come off the top rope on the elbow and Vader didn't move, so Sean came off the top rope and landed on his feet and just kicked Vader in the head and said, move! Um, that's, that's, that's not what he said, but yeah, kind of. Uh, listen, he's lucky Leon White didn't kill him. Yes. Because it would be in a long line of many people that wanted to kill Shawn Michael in the 90s, in the mid-90s. Yes. And who would have stopped him? No one. Yeah. I mean, Bret Hart wanted to kill him, and Bret Hart is one who legitimately could, but Vader was someone that could kill a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that but, that one makes me laugh. Like yeah. you're and lucky, Sean. Leon to a Leon White to a man. And you know, it's been said many times. And if you ever heard if you've ever seen a Leon White in interview, the softest spoken man you could ever see. I am a, I'm a Leon White, I'm a professional wrestler. You wouldn't you 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 wouldn't believe it. Built uh, like you, a house. You, yes. But and also one of the roughest, stiffest men to ever work as a professional rep. Hurt more people uh by accident or just because he didn't know his own strength. Um broke Joe Thurman's back, separated Ron Ron Simmons' shoulder, broke Nikita Cola's uh, collarbone. Um Texas Jack's nose. Yeah, Cactus Jacks know it. That's one of my most gruesome uh, footage the WWE's put out is the unaired, unedited version of that Saturday night match with Cactus Jack and Vader where he's just punching him in the corner and you can you can hear audibly, audibly, yeah. very loudly. Yeah. You can hear Cactus Jack's nose break under one of the punches just crack. 
Like, oh, oh, and I, you know, things don't bother me like that. But I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ! Yeah, yeah. it's one like, of those what? things where you hear it, you go like that to your nose, like fuck yeah. So it might have been his time in WCW, and he knew being in WWE, he wasn't a Vince guy, so he wanted to tread lightly. He didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Jim Cornette called him a big teddy bear. He didn't want to ruffle any feathers. Well, Shawn Michaels to kiss my ass. That's what happened. Yeah. In those um, days. And because Vader and because Leon knew he needed his job more than anything else, there weren't a lot of options for him, especially a guy that big. The uh, scene in Japan was kind of not drying up, but uh, they pretty much were going in another direction. Sean is so lucky. Yeah, oh, my God. So, so lucky. lucky. Yeah. That, that Leon... Uh, wanted to keep his job and didn't want to ruffle any feathers. Leon, Leon, because if he had the kind of job security he had at WCW, um, he would be dead. <laughs> yeah, Sean Where'd Shawn Michaels go? I don't know. He's missing. He would have been dead in that ring right there, um, because he had to take it to take it easy on Sean, and that's why Sean didn't like working with Vader, and Vader didn't like working with Sean, and you know, like I said, Vince never saw what the appeal was in Vader. He wasn't a Vader guy. Of course he didn't. Yeah. Um, uh, but and the same thing with and you can say the same about Flair. Because he and not did, did not only did Vince just look down on WCW guys as a rule, but he just didn't get it. Um and pretty much if you weren't his creation, he didn't have any Whatever you do you mean. That never yeah. happened to anybody like Sting or anything. Yeah. And um he liked Rick. You know, and from a personal standpoint, but if you gave Vince McMahon a stadium like this, already made, already sold out, Vince McMahon would book Hulk Hogan versus Ultimate Warrior instead of Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat. Because that's who he sees are big stars. That's who he sees. Those are Vince guys. Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat. Even though that that theory that I just posited uh, would have borne fruit because at the biggest show that the WWE ever had, uh, the main event was two big plotting guys, Hulk Hogan and, and Andre the Giant, but the best match of the night was Ricky Steamboat and Randy Savage. If that had been your main event at WrestleMania, you still would have had a huge sell and the crowd still would have gone happy. So, But yeah, if you leave it at the fence, he would have booked Hogan and Andre every time, but Savage versus Steamboat, Steamboat versus Flair. No, he wouldn't want any part of that. Even those guys could tell a story and could do a match that would have a crowd like that on their feet at the end. But I digest. Uh, August 16th, professional wrestling history. We're talking about patterns, about how people, um, how they are and how we we're just talking about Vince and how he has a pattern of doing things and doing stuff. August 16, 1960. We had to go back to 1960. You see, see where our pattern started, Dan. A pattern that will continue for the next 30 years. Vern Gagne became the AWA. Speaking of patterns. Yeah, you see where I was going with this? This is all set up. Um, Vern Gagne would become the AWA champion for the first time August 16th, 1960. Great, and the way he he became the AWA champion was um is a, a time honored story. Pat O'Connor was the defending and was the NWA champion. 
and was recognized as the first AWA champion. This is back when there was only one. Um, in May of 1960, he was recognized as the first AWA champion. But he was given 90 days to defend his newly acquired AWA belt against the number one contender, Vern Gagne, or be stripped. Pat O'Connor had a series of uh, of schedule scheduled matches already in the NWA, so he didn't he declined to defend his belt against Vern Gagne. He wasn't scared of Vern, and uh, but he just had a previous commitment. So because of that, the match never happened, and Vern Gagne was simply awarded the AWA championship. Now Vern Gagne would win the AWA title in multiple times in the ring. But the last four reigns of Vern Gagne didn't take place in the ring. He was simply given the title. He retired as AWA champion. Uh, and when uh, he came back, retire, came back from retirement, he was given the AWA belt. Uh, and when he was champion again, he, re- he uh, retired. Instead of having a a tournament or something to hold the uh, title, he simply gave the belt to Nick Bockwinkle. Uh, when Stan Hansen was the AWA champion, and we've said this many times on the on this very podcast, he was in Japan and uh, he was told to give the belt back, and um, because he was being stripped because he of a show he couldn't make, he ran over the belt, mailed it back to uh to uh. Vern and Vern, rather than have a tournament for it, simply gave the belt back to Nick Bockwinkle with a bend. Yeah, with a little with some tire tracks on it. <laughs> I think he ran it over twice. I think he backed back over it just to make yeah. sure. Yeah. But the AWA championship has a history of uh, things being given to uh, someone who was a favorite of Vern or just Vern himself, who just gave himself the title. Uh, but it, the first time the title was given to him was August 16th, 1960. Hmm. What a um, day. Yeah, what a day. And hmm. the last thing uh, I want to honor on this week in professional wrestling history, I know we skipped ahead, we landed on August 16th, but August 14th, uh, this week in pro wrestling history, uh, August 14th would have been the 63rd birthday of the great... I hate to say late, Bobby Lee Eaton would have been 63. No, I knew I I knew I liked Bobby Eaton as much as I did for a reason, but I didn't know that we were two days apart. Yeah, August 14th, um, 1958, uh, was uh, Bobby Lee Eaton was born. So uh, it hurts because we spent so much time talking about him last week. Um, I was going to say, yeah, we're not going to do it again, but just listen no. to last week's episode. We did a whole uh, episode talking about the life and career of be- the beautiful the, one. The beautiful one. Sir Earl, the, the Earl of Eaton. And, the Earl of Eaton, yes. yes. My favorite gimmick. Part of the Blue Bloods with uh, God, the great love, Stephen Regal. I love that so much. I cannot tell you. And a lot of this is retrospectively because as a kid, it's like, he's a bad guy. Fuck them. I don't care. <laughs> Years later, when you're you're not all about bad good anymore, you just watch that and go, "This is amazing. Why is this not in the main event all the time? Why is this hour one or two? Come on, great stuff. Yeah, it's great stuff. So, um, 
happy birthday to the great one, uh, the beautiful Bobby Heaven. Just got a lot more beautiful uh, yeah. with his presence. And just a misnomer. I know we talked about it a lot last week, but the, the names Lover Boy and Beautiful, it didn't fit either one. But Dennis Condry looked like he was 45 when he was 20. Um, he just had that look. But, but the thing, but to them, they were just names. They didn't play it up like other And that, that's what makes it better, yeah. right? Because every time Jim Cornette in the promo goes, Beautiful Bobby and Lover Boy and Dennis Condry, you just go, Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. But they didn't play like other heel teams that would preen over each other, like the Valiant Brothers or, you know, um, the Hells Angels that were thought they were or the, the God's gift to women. They were they were just names. They were to they were just simply the best tag team in all of wrestling. They just had names that were contrary to who they were <laughs> in real life. Amazing. You know, um, that'd but, be yeah. calling me like thin Dan C. <laughs> That's demonstratively not true. <laughs> Or like when you call any big man tiny or something like that. It just, just that's how it is. But uh, yeah, um, the the beautiful one. Um, happy belated, happy birthday to uh, the now late great Bobby. Eaton. And we've talked about Bobby again. We talked about Bobby at, at length when he was when he was with us. Because yep. that's how much we love. And we're going to be talking to him at length now that he's gone. Yeah, now, yes, with more stories that will come to me, and I will recall stuff. And I mentioned that last week. If you haven't, I don't think I mentioned it last week, but um, pick up the Midnight Express book um, by Jim Cornette. Or I don't the, think you can get it, can you? Yeah, I, you can find it somewhere. Or, if, or you go to jimcornette.com. You don't have to like Jim Cornette to get his stuff because the guy, you think I'm the wrestling historian, Jim Cornette keeps everything. Yeah. So you can get the Midnight Express book. You can get the, 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 the DVD that Dan talked about last week with all the Midnight Express matches on it. Uh, I know I gave you homework last week. Watch his uh, go to YouTube and watch Midnight Express for the Rock and Roll Express matches. Keep doing it. Um, again, to give your tribute, we lost Bobby last week. This week, we're celebrating his birthday. So uh, the more Bobby eaten in your life, the better. Uh, support independent bookstores. Look online at independent bookstores and see if they have it first. Yeah, that is a good point. That is a good point. There's so. your first. That's your first way to do it. And that, gentlemen and ladies, has been the wrestling historian for this week. And you can follow me, if you so choose, on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at Craig Legons, C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S. Yes, follow me on Twitter. <laughs> Sorry. I was admiring my awesome Genesis poster. My of new course. Genesis poster. <laughs> it's my birthday. Uh, follow me on Twitter, Danlaw83. Uh, everybody, uh, to steal a line from Bobby Heenan, Craig, you're like a brother to me. <laughs> so uh, if you wouldn't mind, get together with somebody and buy me something. Of course. Well, Dan, last week you wished me happy birthday until my it turn about is fair play. Happy birthday to you, sir. Um, thank you for uh, so many great years of friendship. Thank you for letting me come aboard your podcast. So it, it could become ours. Nope. But um, I always appreciated you. Even if we had didn't have wrestling in common, we have so many other things in common and so many other things I like about you and I love about you. Um, and I love your, your, you know, the mark of a good person, you know, we talk about Bobby Eaton and as well we should. I love your friends. Everyone you've introduced me to yeah. are there, are they're just the greatest people and that I love having them in my life. Okay. 
And while I haven't slept with all of them, uh, you're working on it. I, <laughs> that's how great people. That's what great people they are. So <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, so hopefully I'll. There's sleep one with you'll never get, but you, you, yes. 99%. Yes, probably. Hope, I'll, I'll, I'll sleep with you. Yeah, well, thank you. And I was getting ready to say I'm hoping to work my way up to Damien anyway. So um, uh, thank you for uh, your friendship, your friends, uh, letting me be part of your life. And uh, he just skipped right over me, went right to the dragon, (laughs) which I understand he has a better hip. Yeah, (laughs) but happy, but happy birthday, man. Seriously. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. We're all getting older and uh, COVID hasn't gotten us yet because we're smart. Hey, hey, follow the show at HACTalkRadio.com and all social media platforms on your smartphone. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Type in the HIAC Talk Radio Network. Please subscribe. Please follow. Please share. Tell all your buddies. Tell all your ex-girlfriends and all your mistresses to listen. <laughs> or your side pieces. Whatever. Your menage a trois. Yeah. Tell them all. Your gouma- yes, your gumas. Good one. Hey. <laughs> I was with my gouma, Tony. It could have been me. Hey. You're breaking my gugats over here. Oh, jeez. What the fuck? <laughs> Night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>